Chapter Seven of Darwin and Cuffy by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther ben Simonides. Chapter Seven. Our hero is exposed to stirring influences and trying circumstances. When the four canoes drew near to the island, immense numbers of natives were seen to assemble on the beach. So that Big Chief deemed it advisable to advance with great caution. Presently, a solitary figure either dressed or painted black, advanced in front of the others and waved a white flag. This seemed to increase the chief's anxiety, for he ordered the men to cease paddling. Jarwin, whose heart had leaped with delight when he saw the dark figure and the white flag, immediately turned round and said, "'You needn't be afraid, old boy. That's the missionary I'll be bound, in his black toggery, and a white flag means peace among cookie-men.' On hearing this, the chief gave the order to advance, and Darwin, seizing a piece of native cloth that lay near him, waved it round his head. "'Stop that, you British tar!' growled Big Chief, seizing a huge club, which bristled with shark's teeth, and shaking it at the seaman, while his own teeth were displayed in a threatening grin. "'All right, old codger,' replied the British tar with a submissive look. "'Honour bright, honour bright,' he added several times, in a low tone, as if to keep himself displayed in a threatening grin. We have already said that our hero and his master talked in the native tongue, which the former had acquired with wonderful facility. But such familiar expressions as old boy, old codger, etc., were necessarily uttered in English. Fortunately for Jarwin, who was by nature free and easy, the savage chief imagined these to be terms of respect, and was, consequently, rather pleased to hear him. Similarly, Big Chief said British tar and Christian in English, as he had learned them from his captive. When master and slave began to grow fond of each other, as we have seen that they soon did, their manly natures being congenial, they used these expressions more frequently. Darwin meaning to express facetious goodwill, but his master desiring to express kindly regard, except when he was roused to anger, in which case he did not, however, use them contemptuously, but as expressive of earnest solemnity. On landing, Big Chief and his warriors were received by the Reverend Mr. Williams and his native teachers, of whom there were two men and two women, with every demonstration of kindness, and were informed that the island of Rarotonga had cast away and burned its idols, and now worshipped the true God, who had sent his son Jesus Christ to save the world from sin. "'I know that,' replied Big Chief to the teacher who interpreted. "'Convert, like yourself, came to my island not long ago, and told me all about it. Now I have come to see and hear. A wise man will know and understand before he acts.' Big Chief was then conducted to the presence of the king of that part of the island, who stood, surrounded by his chief men, under a grove of tamanu trees. The king, whose name was Micaea, was a handsome man, in the prime of life, about six feet high, and very massive and muscular. He had a noble appearance and commanding aspect, and, though not so tall as Big Chief, was, obviously, a man of superior power in every way. His complexion was light, and his body most beautifully tattooed and slightly coloured, with a preparation of turmeric and ginger, which gave it a light orange tinge, and, in the estimation of the Rarotongans, added much beauty to his appearance. The two chiefs advanced frankly to each other, and amiably rubbed noses together, the South Sea method of salutation. Then a long palaver ensued, in which Big Chief explained the object of his visit, namely to hear about the new religion, and to witness its effects with his own eyes. 
the missionary gladly gave him a full account of all he desired to know and earnestly urged him to accept the gospel of jesus christ and to throw away his idols big chief and his men listened with earnest attention and intense gravity and after the plower was over retired to consult together in private during all this time poor jarwin's heart had been greatly stored being tattooed and nearly naked as well as painted like the rest of his comrades of course no one took particular notice of him which depressed him greatly for he felt an intense desire to seize the missionary by the hand and claim him as a countryman indeed this feeling was so strong upon him on first hearing mr williams english tone of voice although the missionary spoke only in the native tongue that he could scarcely restrain himself and had to mutter honour bright several times in order as it were to hold himself in check honour bright became his moral rein or curb on that trying occasion but when in the course of palaver mrs williams who had accompanied her husband on this dangerous expedition came forward and addressed a few words to the missionary in english he involuntarily sprang forward with an exclamation of delight in once more hearing the familiar tongue he glanced over at big chief and checked himself there was a stern expression on the bow of the savage but his eyes remained fixed on the ground and his form and face were immovable as though he heard and saw nothing honour bright whispered jarwin as he turned about and retired among his comrades fortunately his sudden action had only attracted the attention of a few of those who were nearest to him and no notice was taken of it when big chief retired with his men for consultation he called jarwin aside jarwin he said with unusual gravity you must not hear a palaver why not old feller it is your business to obey not to question replied big chief sternly go when i want you i will find you you may go and look at the cookie missionary but remember i have your promise honour bright replied jarwin with a sigh the promise of a british tar surely replied jarwin of a christian asked big chief with emphasis ay that's the idea but it's a hard case old boy to advise a poor fellow to go into the very jaws of temptation i would rather he had ordered me to keep away from him however here goes muttering these words to himself he left his savage friends to hold their palaver and went straight into the jaws of temptation by walking towards the cottage of the missionary it was a neat wooden erection built and plastered by the natives jarwin hung about the door sometimes he even ventured to peep in at the windows in his intense desire to see and hear the long-lost forms and tones of his native land and as the natives generally were much addicted to such indications of curiosity his doing so attracted no unusual attention while he was standing near the door mrs williams unexpectedly came out jarwin feeling ashamed to appear in so very light a costume before a lady turned smartly round and walked away then reflecting that he was quite as decently clothed as the other natives about he turned again and slowly retraced his steps pretending to be interested in picking stones and plants from the ground the missionary's wife looked at him for a moment with no greater interest than she would have bestowed on any other native and then gazed towards the seashore as if she expected somebody presently mr williams approached well have you been successful she asked yes it has all been arranged satisfactorily so i shall begin at once replied mr williams the only thing that gives me anxiety is the bellows poor jarwin drew nearer and nearer 
His heart was again stirred in a way that had not been for many a day, and he had to pull the rein pretty tightly. In fact, it required all his Christianity and his British tarhood to prevent him from revealing himself and claiming protection at that moment. As he raised himself and gazed with intense interest at the speakers, the missionary's attention became fixed on him, and he beckoned him to approach. "'I think that you are one of the strangers who have just arrived, are you not?' This was spoken in the language of Rarotonga, which was so similar to that which he had already acquired, that he opened his mouth to reply, "'Yes, Your Honour, or Your Reverence,' in English. But it suddenly occurred to him that he must translate this into the native tongue, if his secret was to be preserved. While he was turning over in his mind the best words to use for this purpose, he reflected that the imperfection of his knowledge, even the mere tone of his voice, would probably betray him. He had therefore remained dumb, with his mouth open. The missionary smiled slightly, and repeated his question. Darwin, in great perplexity, still remained dumb. Suddenly an idea flashed across his mind. He pointed to his mouth, wagged his tongue, and shook his head. "'Ah, oh, you are dumb, my poor man,' said the missionary, with a look of pity. "'Or tabooed,' suggested the lady. "'His tongue may have been tabooed.' There was some reason and probability in this, for the extraordinary custom of tabooing, by which various things are supposed to be rendered sacred, and therefore not to be used or touched, is extended by the South Sea Islanders to various parts of their bodies, as, for instance, the hands, in which case the person so tabooed must, for a time, be fed by others, as he dare not use his hands. Darwin, being aware of the custom, was so tickled by the idea of his tongue being tabooed, that he burst into an uncontrollable fit of laughter to the intense amazement of his questioners. While in the midst of his laugh, he became horrified by the thought that that of itself would be sufficient to betray him. So he cleverly remedied the evil and gave vent to his feelings by tapering the laugh off into a hideous yell and rushed frantically from the spot. Strange, observed the missionary, gazing after the fugitive mariner. How like that was to an English laugh. "'More like the cry of a South Sea maniac, I think,' said Mrs. Williams, re-entering the house, followed by her husband. The matter which the missionary said had been arranged so satisfactorily, and was begun at once, was neither more nor less than the building of a ship, in which to traverse the great island-studded breast of the Pacific. In case someone, accustomed to think of the ponderous vessels which are built constantly in this land, with such speed and facility, should be inclined to regard the building of a ship a small matter, we shall point out a few of the difficulties with which the missionary had to contend in this projected work. In the first place, he was on what is sometimes styled a savage island, an island that lay far out of the usual track of ships, that had only been discovered a little more than a year at that time, and was inhabited by a bloodthirsty, savage, cruel, and ignorant race of human beings, who had renounced idolatry and embraced Christianity only a few months before. They knew more of shipbuilding than the celebrated man in the moon, and their methods of building canoes were quite inapplicable to vessels of large capacity. Besides this, Mr. Williams was the only white man on the island, and he had no suitable implements for shipbuilding, except axes and augers, and a few of the smaller of the carpenter's tools. In the building of a vessel, timbers and planks are indispensable, but he had no pit saw wherewith to cut these. It is necessary to fasten planks and timbers together, but he had no nails to do this. Heavy iron forgings were required for some parts of the structure, but, although he possessed iron, he had no smith's anvil, or hammer, or tongs, or bellows wherewith to forge it. 
in these circumstances he commenced one of the greatest pieces of work ever undertaken by man greatest not only because of the mechanical difficulties overcome but because of the influence for good that the ship when completed had upon the natives of the southern seas as well as its reflex influence in exciting admiration emulation and enthusiasm in other lands the first difficulty was the bellows nothing could be done without these in the forge there were four goats on the island three of these were sacrificed their skins were cut up and along with two boards converted into a pair of smith's bellows in four days no one can imagine the intense interest with which john jarwin looked on while the persevering but inexperienced missionary laboured at this work and tremendous was the struggle which he had to keep his hands idle and his tongue quiet for he was a mechanical genius and could have given the missionary many a useful hint but did not dare to do so lest his knowledge or voice or aptitude for such work or all these put together should betray him he was therefore fain to content himself with looking on or performing a few trifling acts in the way of lifting carrying and hewing with the axe his friends frequently came to look on as the work progressed and he could not help fancying that they regarded him with looks of peculiar interest this perplexed him but supposing that it must result from suspicion of his integrity he took no notice of it save that he became more resolute than ever in reference to honour bright big chief also came to look on and wonder but although he kept a sharp eye on his slave he did not seem to desire intercourse with him when the bellows were finished it was so that they did not work properly the upper box did not fill well and when tried they were not satisfied with blowing one out but insisted on drying fire in they were in short a failure deep were the ponderings of the missionary as to how this was to be remedied and small was the light thrown on the subject by the various encyclopedias and other books which he possessed but the question was somewhat abruptly settled for him by the rats these creatures devoured all the leather of the bellows in a single night and left nothing but the bare boards rats were an absolute plague at that time in rarotonga mr william tells us in his interesting narrative that he and his family never sat down to a meal without having two or more persons stationed to keep them off the table while kneeling at family prayer they would run over them in all directions and it was found difficult to keep them out of the beds on one occasion when the servant was making one of the beds she uttered a scream and on rushing into the room mr williams found that four rats had crept under the pillow and made themselves snug there they paid for their impudence however with their lives on another occasion a pair of english shoes which would not be put in the usual place of safety were totally devoured in a night and the same fate befell the covering of a hair trunk no wonder then that they did not spare the bellows poor jarwin sorrowed over this loss fully as much as did the missionary but he was forced to conceal his grief still bent on discovering some method of raising the wind mr williams appealed to his inventive powers he considered that if a pump threw water there was no reason why it should not throw wind impressed with this belief he set to work and made a box about eighteen or twenty inches square and four feet high with a valve in the bottom to let air in a hole in the front to let it out and a sort of piston to force it through the hole by means of a long lever the piston could be raised and by heavy weights it was pushed down of course considerable power was required to raise the piston and its weights but there was a superabundance of power for thousands of wandering natives were ready and eager to do what they were bid they could have bumped the billows had they been the size of a house they worked admirably in some respects but had the same fault as the first pair 
namely a tendency to suck in the fire this however was corrected by a means of a valve at the back of the pipe which communicated with the fire another fault lay in the length of interval between the blasts this was remedied by making another box of the same kind and working the two alternately so that when one was blowing the fire the other was as it were taking breath thus a continuous blast was obtained while eight or ten grinning and delighted natives worked the levers the great difficulty being thus overcome the work progressed rapidly a large hard stone served for an anvil and a small stone perforated with a handle affixed to it the duty for a hammer a pair of carpenter's pincers served for tongs and charcoal made from the coconut and other trees the duty for coals in order to obtain planks the missionaries split trees in half with wedges and then the natives thinned them down with adzes extemporized by fitting crooked handles to ordinary hatchets when a bend or twisted plank was required having no apparatus for steaming it he bent a piece of bamboo to the required shape and sent natives to scour the woods in search of a suitable crooked tree thus planks suited to his purpose were obtained instead of fastening the planks to the timbers of the ship with iron nails large wooden pins or tree nails were used and driven into auger holes and thus the fabric was held together instead of oakum coconut husk was used and native cloth and dried banana stumps to caulk the seams and make them watertight the bark of a certain tree was spun into twine and rope by a rope machine made for the purpose and a still more complex machine namely a turning lathe was constructed for the purpose of turning the block sheaves while sails were made out of native mats quilted to give them sufficient strength to resist the wind by these means was completed in about three months a decked vessel of from seventy to eighty tons burden about sixty feet long by eighteen broad she was finally launched and named the messenger of peace and truly a messenger of peace and glad tidings that she afterwards proved to be on many occasions among the islands of the southern seas but our hero john jarwin was not allowed to remain to see this happy consummation he only looked and assisted at the commencement of the work many and many a time did he during that trying period argue with himself as to the propriety of his conduct and thus refusing the means of escape when it was thrown in his way and there was not wanting now and then a suggestion from somewhere he knew not where but certainly it was not from outside of him that perhaps the opportunity had been providentially thrown in his way but jarwin resisted these suggestions he looked up and reflected that he was there under a solemn promise that but for his promise he should not have been there at all and that therefore it was his peculiar duty at that time to whisper to himself continually honour bright one morning big chief roused jarwin with his toe and said get up we go home now what say old man get ready we go to-day i have seen and heard enough big chief was very stern so the jarwin thought it wise to hold his tongue and obey there was a long animated palaver between the chief the missionary and the king but jarwin had been carefully prevented from hearing it by his master who ordered him to keep by the canoes which were launched and ready once again he was assailed by an intense desire to escape and this sudden approach of the time that it was perchance to fix his fate for life rendered him almost desperate but he still looked up and honour bright carried the day he remained dumb to the last and did not even allow himself the comfort of waving a piece of native cloth to the missionary as he and his captors paddled from the raratonga shore End of chapter 7 Recording by Estrebin Simonides